the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. AM 560, The Answer. Prepare to have your mind opened. The lies of the mainstream media are about to be exposed. And the hypocrisy of the left is about to be revealed. This is a revolution in how you think about politics, race, and culture. You've tuned into Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. I'm coming in. Well, welcome to Black and Right on AM560. And this is not John Anthony today. Uh, John has asked me to host his show. I'm Jeannie Ives. I um, have, I'm a longtime listener and a friend of John Anthony's. And alongside me today is Kathleen Murphy. Hi. And yes, and Kathleen and I have been working together for a good 10 to 12 years on policy in the state of Illinois. Mm Uh, We're pretty proud of some of the stuff that we've been published in, like uh, Wall Street Journal, The Federalist, National Review, Chicago Tribune, multiple Mm -hmm. times. And we've been we we care about policy because we know policy affects lives, which is why we're still working in that endeavor through our Breakthrough-Ideas.com website and and everything else. So uh, but today we get to do this fun show with John Anthony. We're just thrilled to do it. Kathleen, do you want to give a little something intro on that? Sure. No, uh, we hope John's enjoying his vacation, first of all. Um, and we're, again, like Jeannie said, uh, we're, we started Breakthrough Ideas, which is an advocacy and network building um, C4 organization. You can learn more about that at Breakthrough-Ideas.com. We're also streaming live uh, from our Facebook page there. Terrific. Great. Uh, so uh, we're going to start out uh, the, the show today with something that's imp- important to me, especially as a, um, you know, a veteran and a military mom now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to talk about the wokeness in the military, military preparedness. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about Cuba, what's going on in there. We have a little clip about the, the Texas Dems and their antics. Mm-hmm. In our second hour today, though, we are going to talk about revolt or bolt in the state of Illinois. What's going on there? Uh, we've got some ethics stuff to talk about energy, of course. The Wall Street Journal article this morning on energy was really informative. And we're going to finish out our second hour with all things school in the state of Illinois. Uh, we will and take your calls. Yes. If you're a parent, we will be taking calls about 245. Yes, and if mm-hmm. you do want to call in, especially about any of these topics, the call-in number is 312-642-5600. But on the line with me right now to start out the show is Stu Swerk. And I have talked to Stu before. I've emailed back with him. Stu, I have not spoken with you in person. I welcome you to our show. Many thanks for having me. So Stu is a retired U.S. Navy captain, and as a former West Pointer, I am proud to actually be a Navy mom. My son graduated from West Point, and he now serves in the Navy. Stu and I also have something in common. He uh, grew up in South Dakota, and so did oh, I. Oh, boy. And he currently lives in South Dakota. And by the way, your governor, Christy Nome, is headed here next this coming week on yeah. Thursday. She's going to be doing a Lake County 
uh, fundraising event for the Republicans out here. So uh, I'll be there. Yes, Kathleen's going. I have another commitment. But uh, the reason I have Stu on this is because he is a prolific writer on Red State. And he has written about mm-hmm. wokeness in the military multiple times. And right now, Stu, I'm, I'm reading from your March fourth article has the sec def Austin been planning a sixty day stand down since he was a West Point cadet, and at the beginning of it, you say during his confirmation hearing, Secretary of Defense nominee Lloyd Austin said that he would make it his priority to combat racism and extremism extremism in the U.S. military. He has been true to his word. On February fifth, twenty twenty one, he directed unit commanders and supervisors at all levels to conduct a leadership stand down to address the issues of extremist ideology in the Department of Defense. Skipping over. Uh, basically, he said service members must reject active participation in organizations that advance supremist or extremist ideology, which includes those that advance and encourage or advocate illegal discrimination based on race, creed, color, sex, religion, ethnicity or national origin, or those that advance, encourage or advocate the use of force, violence or criminal activity or otherwise advance efforts to deprive individuals of their civil rights. Now, your comment on that was interesting that the discussion about supremacists and extremists is in the in the training ma- materials makes no gener- generic mention of groups actively seeking to overthrow the U.S. Constitution and, and U.S. institutions. In short, mm-hmm. those who are truly the kinds of domestic enemies alluded to in the sworn oaths that all service members have taken. Uh, for further comment on that, Stu, where do we stand now in terms of rooting out uh, what they think are extremists in the military? I don't see it myself. They are going full bore across all of the services. Mm-hmm. Uh, General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and SecDef Lloyd Austin are simpatico on this, and they are rooting out what they perceive to be white supremacists and white nationalists, which is their definition of what an extremist is. In fact, they're they're, they're blurring those definitions to a point where essentially it becomes anybody who is against their notion of what the military needs to be in terms of inculcated with critical race theory and all these other nonsense uh, crack crackpot uh, theories. They, they construe any of these people to be what is essentially a domestic terrorist, and they're blurring that. They're blurring the lines between. The people who are involved in six, the 6th January, I won't even call it a riot, I'll call it a tour more, more so than anything else, and people who they deem to be neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and all these other folks that, are, that they in theory are targeting. Of course, they're, they're, they're silent about the real extremists, and any American who was alive and watching TV and reading, reading the, the newspapers last year, we saw what the real domestic terrorists are burning down our cities mm-hmm. and that's black lives matter people in antifa and yet these people in dod have never said boo about either of those two organizations and they are should be at the top of the list because so-called white extremists white nationalists and whatnot they're in the few thousands at the most of people Whereas BOM and Antifa are in tens of thousands in terms of numbers. And in fact, nobody really knows because nobody is going out there and, and cataloging and, and, and uh, building a database on these people. 
Well, I'll be honest with you. You know, having served in the military myself and having graduated from West Point, um, you, you know, you, you, there's all types, actually. You you think that uh, the, the people that serve in the military are largely conservative. I'm here to tell you that a number of my classmates, <laughs> I actually blocked some of them on Facebook because I was just like... <laughs> You guys are out of touch. You've been you've been honestly honest. Some and my my opinion is that some of them have been serving with the security blanket of a government job for mm-hmm. too long, and that they don't live really in the in the open free market where you have to make a living, and 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 they live in these insulated blocks of of, of bureaucrats, and that's what they've become. Uh, but I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm astounded that my own classmates from the Naval Academy, a good percentage of them are either ambivalent to what is going on at the Naval Academy. And, and by the way, council culture and the world is alive and well there, just like they are at West Point and the Air Force Academy. Mm-hmm. But I, could, mm-hmm. I could give you a chapter and verse there about what's going on. But, it, but it's just amazing. I just had an argument with a, a guy from my own company at the Naval Academy that I spent four years with just yesterday. And he was giving me the song and dance about how my articles at Red State are, are too... Uh, flagrantly, blatantly critical of the left, and this, that, and the other. And so I asked him, uh, what, do you know what, you understand what the antecedents of Black Lives Matter and critical race theory are? It's straight Marxism derived from the Frankfurt School of Critical Theory. That's what we're dealing with. Is that how you want our Naval Academy to evolve into the ability to, to essentially brainwash midshipmen going through that institution and, and converting in, them into social justice warriors and BLM types and cultural Marxists. And, of course, he didn't have anything to say at that point. But, well, but you're right. Yeah. You know, there, it's, it's, it's surprising to me that there are as many people who you would think would be part of an ostensibly conservative organization, namely the U.S. military, mm-hmm. that, that are really not conservative at all. In fact, they're quite liberal. In fact, even uh, pinko, I guess, is the right way to put it. Well, I'm going to bring in a personal story. And, uh, you know, my son, uh, one of my sons just finished his plea beer at West Point. Mm -hmm. And he contacted me in November about a mandatory lecture that they had by a woman named Caroline Randall Williams. Now, she is a black essayist. She wrote in uh, June of 2020 that the New York Times published a essay uh, basically saying my body is a monument to the white Confederacy, essentially saying that going back five generations, somebody in her lineage was raped by a a white slave owner. Okay, uh, you you know, that's sad. All right, whatever. Um, But then she goes on and wrote a second second essay that the New York Times published just probably about I think it was November 8th. So, you know, you're talking just days after the November election. And in that essay, she literally said. The Republicans are the party of virulent, violent white supremacists. And West Point saw a need to put her in front of every plebe person in that English class, including my son. And I'm a former Republican elected official, and I couldn't have been more offended. Of course, I immediately fired off an email to the Mm -hmm. dean and to the the department head of the English department. No response. No response. They don't want to hear it. They need to shut this stuff down. The, the, the woman doesn't even know her history. For heaven's sake, yeah. the people, yeah. the party of racism and and uh, slavery is the Democrat Party. They're the party of the KKK. They were against civil rights. They've been against. 100%. Yeah, I think we'll be back with Stu after the break. Yes, yeah, Stu, yeah. we got to go to a break, but we're holding you over for the next segment because we want to discuss General Milley's comments, and that's going to come up. We got a couple clips on that, and we want your response. Thanks a lot.
This is Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Like one of, he's got a top secret security clearance. Um, he's currently a pundit and contributor to two online conservative blogs. And he's been doing that since 2019. Uh, he's got over 350 articles written at Red State. Uh, Stu, we brought, we brought you in because uh, now we're going to play a little clip uh, about General Milley and committee. I think uh, many people have heard this before, but it's worth uh, hearing again. And I want to get your reaction on this one, Stu, because uh, I certainly have a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, first of all, on the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university. Uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. And I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. Stu. So I want to understand white rage. I'm white and I want to understand it. Uh, has he not understood this before in his entire life? He's a military commander. He certainly has been in certain situations. Uh, respond to that. And then also this idea that uh, the storming of the Capitol is linked to white rage. Is that what we saw on January 6th? It makes me ill to listen to that diatribe by Millie. I don't even like to call him general, even though he's obviously earned it. I looked at his bio. I mean, the guy's had some pretty pretty uh, excellent commands. Tampa Mountain, 3 Corps, Force Com, Chief of Staff of the Army, and then he became Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. But I feel there, there was one thing in his career that really was a red flag to me. He was a military assistant to uh, Secretary of Defense Robert Gates in the W. Uh, Bush administration, and he carried over and stayed with Obama. That was a huge red flag to me because Gates is the ultimate deep stater, and the fact that Obama approved mm-hmm. him for chief staff of the Army uh, gave me pause for concern, too, because we all, we all know that Obama purged uh, senior military people uh, throughout most of his eight years to, to be left with sycophants and people just like Milley. Milley is the dross that's left after the, after the purge from Obama. So th- this notion that 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 uh, you know he's speaking for the military and that he doesn't understand what white racism is, or he or he's he's conveying the party line of the left because he's now the four star and is really a political general, not no longer in in you know in combat arms anywhere. I mean, it, it, it's absurd to listen to this guy this guy talk. Okay, but it gets I, even as worse far, as far as this. It, as far as the 6th January business is mm-hmm. concerned, the, the notion that that was white racist uh, reaction or something like that, 
It's also absurd. There were people from all colors and persuasions that were involved in listening to President Trump uh, at that at that rally. And mm-hmm. even the people that 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 were inside the Capitol building were not just white people. In fact, it's it's not clear exactly who was in there yet. After all of the so-called greatest and, and most uh, deep insp- uh, investigation that the FBI has ever conducted. Uh, okay, hey Stu, I want to I want to quickly turn to this also that just came out this week, um, and I'm reading from a Guardian. Shortly before the deadly attack on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, told aides the U.S. was facing a Reichstag moment because Donald Trump was preaching the gospel of the Fuhrer. According to an eagerly awaited book about Trump's last year in office, this was a book that was um, written by Washington Post reporters Carol Leoning and Philip Rucker, and it portrays Milley uh, as seen himself in the final months of Trump's presidency as one of the few remaining officials in the crumbling administration still defending the military and executive branch institutions. I mean, this is pretty, this is a guy with a ma- massive ego if this is what he is thinking. And he's uh, totally miss, m- missing the moment here. Reichstag moment? I mean, h- how can he say that? Reichstag moment was, it, it's a, it was a, a Nazi false flag operation. He's got it inside out, if anything. I mean, the, the, the notion that that's that, that I don't even have words to describe what this guy is talking about. Well, uh, here, obviously, he, he, he's, 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 he's conveying the left's view of events because that is what he's that's what he is. He's a political general at this point in time. That's what he's doing. He's furthering their goals. And that includes making the military woke, purging, purging those those people who are still in service mm-hmm. who are not of his political persuasion well I, that's what he's doing isn't this um isn't this kind of what basic training is for to break down the civilian ego to build up a core of soldiers who work cohesively i mean what what is the point of sure. bringing this in yep. if not to do, to actually be divisive and to divide. And I, I just want to get your take on this. I saw Wesley Hunt sure. um, made the comparison to the uh, Wesley Hunt is, of course, a black uh, USMA graduate. Uh, his siblings also went to USMA and he ran for Congress in Texas. And he said this he compared it to the defund the police movement, which divided America and weakened police forces where they were needed across the nation. He said, this is this is what they're doing, again, to move their socialist agenda forward, and it's going to weaken our military. And I wonder if you agree with that and what your take is. Totally. If I could ask Millie one question, I would ask him this. Explain to me, General, if you could, how jamming CRT and BLM-related stuff down the throats of all military members is going to improve combat effectiveness and military readiness. Because just as you say, and just as that gent said, it is nothing about team cohesion or combat effectiveness or anything like that. It's about divisiveness. And you don't, I mean, there's no such thing as diversity and equity in a foxhole or in a combat system team. It's absurd to even consider that notion. And and yet, this is all about division and and putting, putting people against each other. That is the antithesis of team cohesiveness. And up here in the suburbs of Chicago, we have one of the most toxic, divisive congressmen in the nation. His name's Sean Caston. He has gone all in on supporting um, General, General Milley, Milley mm-hmm. and CRT. He's gone all in on it, all on Twitter. He did a, a, a huge uh, monologue that went viral. So, um, you know, just I think that everyone who's listening should know that about Sean Caston and 
Yeah, Mr. Yeah. No Military Experience whatsoever. If you're whatsoever, concerned about this, he has be no, concerned no. about him. And by the way, if my feedback from, you know, obviously I have a son who's a Navy mm-hmm. pilot. In fact, um, looking forward to seeing him. He just got mm-hmm. off a deployment where he was out in the Mideast. Um, he's a C-2 pilot, so he flies on and off an aircraft carrier. And mm-hmm. uh, He's a graduate from West Point, and then he, he's a traitor now, though, because he went to the Navy. But we uh, still, That makes you a traitor in the eyes household. <laughs> yes, but we still allow him in for, you know, Christmas dinner. Um, and the Army-Navy game. And the Army-Navy game. He does root for the right team there, at least. But, I mean, he... You know, most people that in his friend said, I'll be honest with it, they know what's going on. They're they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. And but honestly, it demoralizes them. It's demoralizing them because they know the truth. They know the truth about themselves and the truth about their colleagues. They know this is all political and the military is not supposed to be a political organization. And the leadership could not be more political. Watch the mid-grade statistics for retention as it relates to officers enlisted over the next year or two. I already know personally people who are at the lieutenant commander 04 level in the Navy who are resigning because they don't want to deal with it. They know that if they get command, they are subject to being uh, second-guessed by anybody in their chain of command for anything that they do. So every single decision that they make as a commander is going to get looked at from through a prism of CRT and everything else. Yeah, just so like that's gonna, yeah, that's going to be the death for us mm-hmm. for sure. And and it's just like and then you're going to have goofy congressmen like Sean Kasten who is a go- total goofball. And don't uh, think our enemies too, aren't watching, thinking that he's got civilian mm-hmm. uh, control over the military as well. It's just mm-hmm. outrageous. Stu, we're ending our time with you for this segment. Thank you so much for joining us on Black and Right, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Have a great day. Yes, be an, ar- be an army. <laughs> <laughs> This is Black and Right with John Anthony uh, on AM 560. The answer. Hey there. Welcome back to Black and Right. This is Jeannie Ives and Kathleen Murphy. John Anthony has asked us to host uh, today. And so I took on a topic yep. that I wanted to take on, which is talking about the military, something uh, close to my heart right. and my family's heart. Uh, actually, something important to all, everybody. And uh, of course, this week, there are the new reports out, new questions about military preparedness and mm-hmm. specifically a report about the Navy. And so joining us on the line is going to be Len Wass. Len, are you there? I am. Awesome. Can hear you nice super clear. You. He's calling in from his um, hunting spot in western Illinois. So we appreciate uh, him taking nice. some time off to, to talk to us. Um, just want you to know, Len, uh, Len uh, served in the U.S. Navy for 25 years, retiring as a captain. The first five years were active duty on three different submarines. He conducted multiple special operations in support of the Vietnam War and made three Polaris Missile Determined Patrols. He's licensed by the U.S. Navy as an engineering watch office officer on several nuclear, nuclear reactors. Um, he concluded his naval career with five years as an executive officer of Naval Research Unit in Chicago, reporting to Washington, D.C., in connection with R&D programs. Uh, he holds a B.S. degree uh, with concentrations in math and marine engineering from the U.S. Naval Academy. Um, he's also a, gra- a graduate near the top of his class from the University of Chicago in 1971, where he's awarded an MBA with dual concentrations in finance and international business. I know Len as the chairman. Yes, it's quite a yeah. bio. I, it was incredible. But I first met um, Len, Captain Wass, uh, when he was chairman of the USS, and he still is the chairman of the USS Illinois Commissioning Committee. We flew out to Connecticut there to uh, be part of the uh, christening committee and then the commissioning committee. And he is 
overseeing civilian support of the newly constructed Virginia-class nuclear attack submarine. So, Len, welcome to the program, because as much as we were very much impressed when we flew out to to, um, Connecticut and you watch them christen and michelle obama was at the christening that time it took a a couple wax to actually break the champagne bottle but she did get it done um but but, you know when we were there i mean it is absolutely impressive the the, uh, looking at a submarine if anybody has seen any of the new submarines you look at that now but then we have the scathing report out Mm -hmm. uh that it just puts into question where we are, um, the Heritage Foundation also did a report on national defense, and they, they said it reaches a troubling conclusion about the state of the U.S. military and its ability to defend American interests. In the aggregate, the United States military posture is rated marginal and features both positive and negative trends. As currently postured, the U.S. military is only marginally able to meet the demands of defending America's vital national interests. Len, what, what has happened here? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, Jeannie. Uh, I've read both of those reports, and uh, they're solidly based. Uh, In fact, the the one uh, that's gotten a lot of publicity uh, uh, that was initiated by Senator Tom Cotton and others uh, interviewed uh, uh, sailors anonymously, so Mm -hmm. they weren't just selectively uh, interviewing the brass for their fact-finding, but they went through the uh, Navy and uh, came up with this uh, quite devastating report. Uh, I think there's good news, however, and the good news is that the silent service, which I belong to, uh, I think has still maintained its posture. i uh, very active, as uh, you've mentioned, with the force now, and I know quite a few of the active duty admirals, and all of them, in my opinion, are, are solid patriots. They, their oath is to the Constitution, not to... Uh, some person or, or some position. And uh, also a little-known fact is 75% of our nuclear warheads in our arsenal in America are aboard submarines. Uh, so it's a very special but silent branch, and I think the silence is what got it uh, a, a, a reprieve from this Obama uh, uh, infiltration of the military, which uh, I heard Stu Sirk earlier talk about, and I agree with him 100%. Uh, now, you know, so the good news is we've got one player on the, on the baseball field that's good, and we've got a lot of problems with the other players, and so therefore the net result is uh, we, we, we're in big trouble. Uh, we've uh, uh, this, uh, you know, woke culture that uh, has uh, been in our service academies, all three of them, by the way, uh, and now, you know, the military, and you can just see this as you go up the line from the chief of naval operations, uh, Admiral Gilday, to uh, Miley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, to uh, 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 Austin, the Secretary of Defense. And even this week, uh, Secretary of State Blinken uh, went to the United Nations to petition them to look at America for, uh, you know, our, our racism and so forth. It's... Uh, very clear to me what's happening, and it's, it goes well beyond just the military. Well, in the report that you're talking about, uh, the Wall Street Journal actually uh, also um, threw up an article about it. And this, this the report surveyed active and recently retired service members of various ranks in conducting 77 candid hour-long interviews. A key finding, many sailors found their leadership distracted, captive to bureaucratic excess, and rewarded for the successful execution of administrative functions 
rather than core competencies of war. This report, of course, was commissioned by Cotton Gallagher Crenshaw and Banks. So final word, you've got about 20 seconds to wrap up with this segment. Uh, what do you think? Where are we headed in the military here? Len, are we going to pull back from the brink and get our act together? I think under the current administration, we're in real trouble. Uh, we need to fix the election system and uh, win the House and Senate back to some semblance of order. That, uh, and unless we do that, we're in trouble. Well, thank you for having us. Quick segment here with you. Have Happy hunting. Talk to you later, thank Len. Thank you, Len. And now, more Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, The Answer. Oh, and instead of John, you've got uh, Jeannie and Kathleen. And you know what? We're going to go quickly to a caller here, just finishing up our segments that we just did on military. And then we're going to talk about Cuba because uh, freedom matters to these people, doesn't it, Kathleen? Absolutely. Okay, but we're going to talk to Ben. Ben, you're on the line with Jeannie and Kathleen. Okay, good afternoon, ladies. Let me explain something to you. Let's start Uh, briefly, quickly, quickly, Ben. Go ahead. Okay, we have political prisoners in Washington, D.C. right now that have never been given due process. Maybe somebody should ask Millie about that. Okay, that's one thing. And the second thing over here, all of that stuff that was uh, fencing around the Capitol over there was done to protect Nancy Pelosi and all of them. And there was no insurrection on January 6th. Let's get the facts straight. Pelosi and all of those people in that office over there were having a party over there. The D.C. police are the one. One shot fired. They let all of those people in there. That was all prearranged. Okay. Well, Ben, uh, thank you for your call. Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciate you, uh, you, you, you talking, uh, calling in to our show. Listen, uh, you know, Kathleen and I, we were in D.C. when we saw the triple fencing and the, the armed guards. And by the way, yep. they had no bullets in their guns. It was all for show. The, I, I will tell you what. It was they, quite a show. Though. Whatever they, you know, whatever happened on January 6th happened. There were a number of people that were escorted in to, to the Capitol. However, there mm-hmm. does need to be a full investigation about the, how, why there was a lack of security prior to that, where they, why they denied, uh, National uh, Guards treatments. Uh, this is the mayor of, of D.C. Mm-hmm. denied it. Pelosi didn't want any extra security. McConnell apparently didn't want extra security, and then so this kind of happened. Uh, but certainly people walked in freely, stayed between the rope lines, so there's a lot to be investigated about what happened. But we were there uh, in, and in it March. Is being investigated. In March, literally two months after mm-hmm. the thing, they still had triple fencing, and they had National Guardsmen uh, you know, standing around, literally with their weapons mm-hmm. slung and not a single bullet in them. Because they're not, of course they're not going to fire on an American. It was all for show. It's a total joke. It, it, needs, to be a, it needs a problem. But you talk about political prisoners certainly people that are just simply charged for trespassing are being held in solitary confinement which is considered in some cases cruel that's what that's what your that's what your democrats here in the state of illinois would say that that is cruel punishment for them and uh they're not being given their time uh to be heard uh at all in a timely manner Mm -hmm. but you know this is this actually tees up right with our next segment here and this segment is we're we're talking about cuba i mean look at the freedom fighters going on in cuba i mean wall street journal says you know after sunday's unprecedented protests across cuba challenging the island's dictatorship the communist regime is still abusing its citizens but in another rare occurrence the regime is also beginning to acknowledge its role in creating the 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 misery 
Cubans poured into the streets Sunday to protest the government's handling of the COVID crisis as the virus races across Cuba. Independent lawyers, medical professionals, and civil society groups on the island have begged Havana to allow international humanitarian aid to reach the people directly. The regime refuses. That was a, a Mary a Anastasia well, O'Grady report. I mean, Jeannie, it's important to note that the people who are out marching in Cuba are risking their lives. Mm-hmm. They are risking their lives literally to protest a communist dictatorship that has oppressed them for more than six decades. Um, and Biden's lack of leadership on this is just an absolute disgrace. It undermines the cause of freedom in Cuba and around the world. Yes. And, and you, you literally had, I think there was a boatload of five people. I think they're still trying to figure out mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, exactly. Are they freedom seekers or are they um, gang members? You know, they came in to um, well, right near uh, Miami Beach and they landed and they were just ecstatic to be on uh, U.S. soil. But, uh, you know, an, an incredibly treacherous trip and that the Biden administration I think they are they are continuing to perpetuate the story, and it was in the Wall Street Journal. That's this is this is the, uh, the Cuban dictator's version of events. Is that the protests are about the pandemic? They are not about the pandemic. They're about freedom from a brutal dictatorship. That's- well- Here's here's this, another interesting mm-hmm. article, and I just happened to, to run across this as well. This is Jill Seib, also right in the Wall Street Journal. He says um, that um, across a swath of Central Europe and, and Central Asia, in particular, a total of eighteen countries suffered countries suffered declines in democratic trends last year, yeah. where only six in those regions saw any improvement. And he argues actually that. Uh, um, he says it's hard to say whether Cubans on the streets, like citizens of Hong Kong pushing back against Chinese central government repression there, represent the beginnings of a new anti-authoritarian tide or mere footnotes in a generally bad time for those who cheer for democracy. Certainly, hmm. authoritarian regimes appear to be having a good run right now. Freedom House, a nonpartisan organization dedicated to promoting freedom and democracy, reports that freedom across the globe has declined for 15 straight years, a trend that accelerated last year, the long Democratic recession is right. deepening. Well, I, I so. believe it. And let's I mean, we just talked about we did two segments on these um, military mm-hmm. leaders who are so concerned about protect, you know, the, the fall of democracy. Well, let, let's look at who has stood where in 2016. Barack Obama attended a baseball game with the dictator of Cuba, Raul Castro, and his administration. They uh, took a weak stance on the regime, which benefited the country's dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Obama also praised Cuba's communist dictators and said they should be congratulated for making great progress and huge improvement in education and health care. Bernie Sanders praised Fidel Castro for totally transforming the society in the 1980s and in 2020, again praised his literacy program. It took White House Gen White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki a week, a week before she would condemn communism. They welcome socialism and socialist policy, so it's no wonder freedom's down around the world. And then the worst thing is now, what are they doing? They're inviting the U.N. human rights officers to investigate the U.S., Mm-hmm. We're sure the UN team will feel free to denounce the US. How about the I mean, Uyghur is, concentration again, camps the Wall Street in Journal China? Editorial board. I mean, it's just unbelievable. They're inviting the UN to to, to actually investigate racism in in the, the US. Are you kidding me? These people are I, a joke. It's a joke. We now return to Black and White on AM five sixty. The answer.
Here's John Anthony. Nope, it's not John Anthony. It's Jeannie and Kathleen. We're here again. Listen, we just talked about democracy and how Cubans and the Hong Kongers are fleeing for it. They want democracy. And uh, apparently the Texas Democrats are fleeing for democracy, too. So, yeah, <laughs> what, did, uh, what did they do, Kathleen? Well, they uh, hopped on a private plane with a couple of cases of beer and flew to Washington. <laughs> That's a cheap what they beer, did. too, by the way, but we won't right. say the name. Um, yeah. And they hopped to Washington because they wanted to prevent they wanted to block. Uh, they wanted to make sure there wasn't a quorum in order for a vote to go through about um, bill. Uh, mm-hmm. about voting rights. So mm-hmm. here's here is uh, when they get there. Here's VP Harris discussing how brave they were. Take a but I do want to first start by uh, making a statement about the, the legislators in Texas who are showing extraordinary courage and commitment. I met with them when many of them traveled to Washington, D.C. We sat down and had an extensive conversation in the Roosevelt Room in the White House. And I applaud them standing for the rights of all Americans and all Texans to express their voice through their vote unencumbered. They are leaders who are marching in the path that so many others before did when they fought and many died for our right to vote. And I'll say this later in my comments, but um, I do believe that fighting for the right to vote is as American as apple pie. <laughs> and how did they get on that uh, private plane, Jeannie? Uh, they took With a charter. IDs. Oh, IDs. They had to have IDs. Why would they participate in such a racist system? Well, here you go. You know what? Here's here's a perfect response. This is Carl Rove, who knows uh, what the law really stood for, and he just takes it apart uh, on them. Let's particularize it to the building that's behind me, the Texas State Capitol. We've had early voting since 1987. New York had it for the first time in 2020. Delaware, the president's hometown, home state, is going to have uh, is going to have in person early voting for the first time in 2022. And yet they he's going to go lecture Texans about the fact that we have been doing this since 1987 and his home state has yet to begin doing it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, and then you had Biden actually uh, speaking at the National Constitutional Center in Philadelphia on Tuesday, and he forcefully condemned the wave of election integrity laws recently passed in red states, calling the laws an assault on the right to vote and the most Mm -hmm. significant threat to the Mm -hmm. U.S. since the Civil War. And he prefaced that by saying this is not hyperbole. Well, that's how you know it's hyperbole. And that's the Democrats are so hyperbolic on all of these things. Honestly, like if you want the police adequately funded you are a racist if you think that um we should police our borders you literally have you have blood on your hands you know it's everything it's like a bad episode of reality tv like they're like the real housewives and this is the this is the dramatic (laughs) storm out after the dinner party you know when their contracts are up for renewal uh you know you you just I, I don't know. I hope the American public are tired of these charades. This is ridiculous. The Wisconsin it's Democrats, you know, they, you know, you want to talk about an yeah. insurrection. How about the fact that the Texas Democrats mm-hmm. left in order to not vote? 
So they abdicated Correct. their responsibility as an elected official to be there, make the arguments, right. work with your, your, your colleagues. And in fact, the Republicans actually well, did <laughs> modify their original bills a little bit to accommodate it's them. Totally but they literally reason. wanted 24-7 drive-through voting in, in Harris County. And it, huh. it, it would be, it's a well, ridiculous I, I mean, idea. no, and this is, and they know it, and this is just a partisan Democrats creating a political stunt. They want media attention. They're getting it. The Biden administration wants the narrative. I hope it's not they're getting media. it. They are getting to play politics, but they are going to have to go back to Texas eventually <laughs> because and government Governor Ab- Ab- Abbott said he will call special session until Texas passes a voter integrity law. And if they continue this, they'll be arrested. OK, so we are on uh, we're on black and white right right now where um, you can call in in our next um, hour. We are going to be discussing. Um, a, we're taking a real turn here. We're going to talk about some Illinois stuff. We're going to talk about some a congressional Revolt fundraising. Or Revolt or Bolt. Call um, in. Yep, call in. We've got, uh, <laughs> we're ha- we're going to be talking with State Rep Dan Calkins. He'll, he'll be discussing that legislative g- bill and on and on. Prepare to have your mind opened. The lies of the mainstream media are about to be exposed. And the hypocrisy of the left is about to be revealed. This is a revolution in how you think about politics, race, and culture. You've tuned into Black and Right with John Anthony on AM 560, The Answer. I'm coming in. <laughs> I love the bumper music. Yes. John Anthony. John Anthony. Nice choice. Great job. So, hey, you're here not with John Anthony, but Jeannie Ives and Kathleen Murphy. And John, uh, we're very thankful for him to ask us to sub in as he Absolutely. takes a little family vacation. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Yep. Um, I served with John when we were in uh, uh, Springfield together. We were both uh, Republican House members at the same time. So uh, that during interesting times, uh, yep. you know, the Quinn years, the Rounder years, all of that. Uh, <laughs> a lot of interesting battles. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, John was a policy person. He cared about policy, mm-hmm. doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, we certainly are policy people, uh, Kathleen. And that's why we started our, our new endeavor, Breakthrough-Ideas.com, is where you can find our work and our website. Um, and, you know, we, we figured out that very quickly that... Um, you know what? There's there's a lot of policy that we think people don't quite understand. They, they it's hard to connect the dots in a busy time with seven thousand units of government in the state of Illinois alone. Right. It's hard to keep track of your school board, your park district, your 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 city, your totally. township. Um, not alone, let alone just the state stuff. And there's so many nuances to policy. And I wish I could almost like give everybody a a staff analysis about every single policy so they could read what I'm reading before a vote took place. At least that was my concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but I serve in the minority and we knew the best thing that we could do in the minority is to uh, provide information to people so they understood what was going on. And we worked diligently on that. We're still doing that through breakthrough ideas That's right. to connect the dots on policy. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, boy, those elections matter. They really do. You have yep. to win elections. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, politicians make policy. Mm-hmm. And if you change out the politicians, you get a different policy. But changing out the politicians takes a lot of effort. And People, a lot of money. A lot of money. Mm-hmm. And really, that's that's what this segment's going to be about. We're, we're going... We're going to talk to you uh, a little bit about, you know, fundraising, what's been happening in the midterms. There seems to be a lot of activity on the Republican side. They are geared up after you've seen what the first six months of a Biden administration looks like with all the Democrats actually getting more progressive than moving to the middle. Usually when you're governed, you start to kind of move to the middle. You start to come together around policy. And that is not what we're seeing with the, the Biden administration 
in any way. No, they're pretty fractured. Yes, yeah. they are. And yeah. actually, the Democrats, the the more moderate Democrats, if I, I don't think any of them are moderate right now, but even the more moderate Democrats are facing progressive challengers right. well, like, on their look, left. Yeah, as a party, they are plagued by identity politics. I mean, mm-hmm. that is it's such a divisive thing. And now it's 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 come for them in a lot of ways. And then they also have this rigidly ideological far left that will cancel you, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, like they do not care. And Democrats are usually pretty good at walking in lockstep, but that rigidly ideological left will throw, you know, even the most moderate Democrat under the bus. And you see Joe Biden. I mean, you know, it might be failing health, but it's also he's trying to like jump through all of their increasingly intricate cancel culture hoops and really just looking like an idiot. Well, they are. And I think that they know that they're in trouble because mm-hmm. from a policy standpoint, they're, they're, they, they seem so extreme to most Americans, even, even moderate Americans, yeah. they seem so extreme to because uh, most Americans do think that we should have some sort of border control. They don't want massive uh, illegal immigration to they take over police. They, they, yeah. most Americans do want the cops to come when mm-hmm. they, and, and, and not the, the, um, uh, the psychologist to come yeah. when there's a danger at home. They right? want schools to follow data on going back um, as far as COVID mitigations in the next year, which is you know something That's right. that they want everybody to be still controlled by. Yes. And by mm-hmm. the way, while we're talking here, the call in number is 312-642-5600. We'll take your calls on this topic and more. Um, we, uh, but what, what we really wanted to talk to you about is like sometimes money talks. And, um, you know, Fox News report says that building up resources as it aims to recapture the House of Representatives majority in 22 midterms. The House Republican reelection arm says it hauled in a record 20.1 million in fundraising last month. And the National Republican Congressional Committee also reported early Wednesday that it brought in a record 45.4 million during April, June's second quarter of fundraising. The committee touted that the June fundraising was its fourth straight record breaking month. And that its haul the past three months was its largest off election year quarter in NRCC history. Mm-hmm. We could have used some of that money, couldn't have we, against Kasten. Um The committee also have. showcased that it brought in $79.2 million in the first six months of 2021, far yeah. surpassing the $44.5 million raised during the first six months of 2019, the mm-hmm. similar period during the last election cycle. That's, that's nearly double. Yeah, that is a mm-hmm. great sign that energy really in the in U.S. House politics, congressional politics, at least is on Republican side yeah. heading into the 2022 midterms. Um, it, so, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, NRCC chair rep Tom Emmer, who's from Minnesota, uh, said we will take back the majority next fall and voters are doing everything they can to help us accomplish that goal. That is awesome. Contrastingly, mm-hmm. the D.C. D.T.R.I.P., uh, which is Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee report last week that it brought in a measly $36.5 million in the past three months, roughly $9 million shy of NRCC's yeah. haul. And that included a $5 million transfer from... Um, and it's not yeah, yeah, just... Are, it is not, not just NRCC. Um, the Illinois Republican Party has raised... Um, about uh, $459,000 um, in there and under the new ILGOP chairman, Don Tracy's first full quarter, which is the party's best quarter in over 10 years outside a large contribution um, from Governor Rauner in 2015. So, um, you know, you have kind of this energy happening at the grassroots. I mean, I do have to say Don Tracy has worked harder than any other 
Republican Party chair in 10 years. So, yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the effort that's being put into fundraising there also makes a, a huge difference. But it it does seem like, um, you know, the winds at our back for right now. We hope so, into, because in 2022 not, in Illinois, in but, Illinois mm-hmm. we have got to be the answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how anybody can abide by the Pritzker administration and the just... Uh, you know, economically, we're still in dire straits without one hundred and thirty eight billion dollars in total flowing into the state of Illinois. We would be on our last, uh, you know, um, our last string here. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, other, other than that cash influence, flu infusion from the federal government, it would be a lot worse. One more thing I want to bring up and then we're going to go to a caller in a South Elgin in just a minute. We'll go to Jim mm-hmm. in a minute here. But um, I did want to bring this out because this was this was a big brouhaha. Yeah. So there were a number, in fact, there were 147 Republicans that voted against um, the, um, what was it, the investigation or, oh, I lost my train of thought here. Uh, they, oh, yep. Um, they voted against the response to the January 6th Capitol riot. So, okay. yep. Yeah. They voted against certifying Biden's uh, victory after. Yes. OK. Big names in corporate America have resumed donating to Republican lawmakers who voted against certifying President Biden's victory after the company's early announced pauses or reviews of their political donations in response to the January 6th capital yeah. rider. That's right. Because so most normal people don't support the stuff Democrats yes. are doing in the Biden administration right. has done. It's particularly scary after the conversations we had about the military. In this particular vote, it was a political vote. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt there was there was politics involved in it. And the whole thing was, is that they felt like they should have more investigations like and it started out with the Arizona challenge that uh, Cruz set up. um, And 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 so that that's where that vote came from. It was Mm -hmm. more of a political vote like we want this fully more investigated. What do you have now? You have Arizona investigating it more. Um, but regardless, now these people, some of these people have decided to these PACs, these corporate PACs have decided, OK, we are going to look into mm-hmm. we're going to start um, giving some donations out to Republicans. Why? Because they've seen the first six months of the Biden administration and it's really bad. Let's very quickly, though, let's go to call uh, Jim in Elgin. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hey, ladies. Hey. Very interesting show. You're doing a great job. And uh Thank I'm you. just hearing your voice. This is why I wish we would have had Governor Jeannie Ives <laughs> the last few years in Springfield versus our overweight uh, governor. But anyways, uh, Michael Savage had an expression saying that liberalism is a mental disorder, and it's on full display with all these people, the uh, Biden group and all these Democratic-controlled Democrat states. Uh, you know, as if it's going on in New York and Detroit and in Michigan. But anyways, there's a group that people can also support. It's called the Club for Growth. And they yes. support a lot of individuals, and I've, I've given them money every year. And a lot of people I've given money to, their their races have been won. So they're a good group. They do their homework. They select good candidates. So I also encourage people, if you don't know some of the candidates are nationwide, to go to the Club for Growth. They do an excellent job. Mm-hmm. And also, um, this last weekend, I went to Effingham. Mary Miller uh, had uh, Congress Lady Green come in from uh, Georgia. It was a wonderful event. Well-attended. Uh, enthusiastic crowd, probably over a thousand people there, and she did well. and And part of her fundraising, she did. She had an interesting uh, auction. She I heard about this. Off. Yes, it I heard wonderful. about it. I didn't you know, hear about I it. Know, I, don't know, I, don't know, I mean, this guy was this, this auction was fabulous. So she had a little Trump purse that sold for three thousand. Yep. And then, and then there was a, an autographed picture of Trump that sold for five. 
So yep. she did very well fundraising. <laughs> yes. Well, thank, and thank, thank you, you for calling your support of Republican candidates and, and uh, Club for Growth. Thanks a lot. Really we'll be cause. right back with you talking about ethics in the state of Illinois. Join us for the next segment. It's the show the mainstream media doesn't want you to know about. It's Black and Right with John Anthony on AM 560. The answer. Maybe I'm foolish. Maybe I'm blind. Thinking I can see through. Oh, boy. He does have great bumper bumper music. Yes, he does. Welcome back to Black and Right. This is AM 560. The answer. Um, We are super happy to be subbing in for John Anthony. He's given the the mic over to us, Kathleen. Um, Yes. It's been a fast and furious. And don't worry um, to his, his fans. He continues to text us throughout the show. So, John, if you're listening, go have a margarita or something. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, uh, listen, we're going to talk to an important guest here. We have on the line with us um, Representative Dan Calkins. He is a state representative out of the Decatur area. And Dan, uh, you know, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I apologize for being a little late. I was you were not late at all. You weren't late at all. We yeah. just, you know, we're first timers here, so we get panicked if we don't see our guest to have had called in five minutes early. So, right. yeah, you know, if that was me frantically <laughs> texting you, where are you? <laughs> I am an uh, indicator. Yes. In okay. Vacation well, capital of the world. What is that? The capital of? <laughs> Vacation capital. Oh, vacation yeah. capital. Well, n- not quite. I, th- yeah. I think there, I think you have a few more things going on to, down there, like uh, you know, a caterpillar plant or so. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. We have a caterpillar plant. We have a Archer Daniels Midland processing plant, a Tate yep. Lyle processing, yep. a Mueller Company foundry. We have a water uh, products. They uh, make water mains and fire hydrants and manhole covers. So yeah, we have a little. Still have some. Some industry here. That's right. You are actually a hub for Illinois manufacturing down in the central part of the state and a very important hub at one point and still an important hub. However, it could be better. Um, you know, but we're having you on to talk about it, something different. And that is uh, what happened with the legislative inspector general, Carol Pope. Um, Top, the top state official, this is from a Chicago Tribune article, a charge with policing allegations of wrongdoing by Illinois lawmakers and legislative staff announced her resignation Wednesday, calling the position essentially a paper tiger. Mm. She said, I thought I might be able to make a difference working from the inside. She wrote to, the, to members of the Legislative Ethics Commission, an eight-member panel that oversees the office, I thought I would be useful in improving the public's view of the legislature and help bring about true ethics reform. Unfortunately, I have not been able to do so. This last legislative session has demonstrated true ethics reform is not a priority. Mm-hmm. She does this. She resigns in the wake. Apparently, what everybody else was told was we just passed massive ethics reform. We passed a bill. SB 539 passed. I think the governor signed it. But, Dan, you are one of so five members, one of five members who did not vote for that ethics bill because why? Well, uh, it, it's a, it was a sham. The bill, I mean, it is a sham bill. Uh, you know, we start, I did when I first came into the General Assembly. One of the first uh, things that I pushed for was ethics reform, as did, I think, many members of the House and the Senate. Uh, the Democrats didn't want ethics reform. Of course, Speaker Madigan was still in power at the time. Uh, 
so at the last minute, they pushed it off to a commission in 2019. Oh, we're going to have this wonderful commission. Uh, the commission never met, or if it did, it never mm-hmm. filed a, a report. We came back, nothing. COVID hit. Uh, you know, we were meeting virtually, Zoom meetings all the time. No ethics committee meetings. Um, and we come back this year, 2020, and at the last minute, they popped this supposedly so-called ethics bill on the table and said, here it is. Take it or leave it. And uh, I left it. I voted no. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so she said in her remarks that one of the biggest reasons is, is although she could start an investigation, investigation, she could never independently report on the results of that investigation. That all had to be approved. And with a panel or a commission that is set for Republican, for Democrats, either party could block the revealing of the results of an investigation. In addition, she didn't have subpoena power which is a very powerful investigatory uh, um, um, power that she would need to do a full investigation at times. And and that was one of the biggest problems with this mm-hmm. form, as you want to call mm-hmm. it that. It, it did not empower the legislative IG to do the job that they were supposed to be doing. She's the second person, um, I think, or maybe the third, uh, legislative IG to uh, leave on uh, bad terms. Uh, you know, the, the, I think it's very damning uh, what she said, but it's the, this is the, the Democrats. They have no interest mm-hmm. in real ethics reforms. Uh, they just want to put something on the table so they can walk around and say, oh, I voted for ethics reform. And that's just not the way I work. Right. I mean, and there was no Republican input on this. And listening to Illinois Democrats talk about ethics is like listening to Charlie Sheen talk about give relationship advice. I mean, it's just there are people who have no interest in it. They have no expertise in it. And it's like the Illinois Democrat crime ring has struck again. I mean, they've just eliminated another obstacle in pursuit of total power and over the state and so they can continue their state sanctioned grift. But Dan, if you uh, were to write um, an ethics bill, since you, you, you were one of five who rejected this out of hand, um, what would, what would that include? What would we see in, in your ethics bill? What does Illinois really need? Well, a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One is that we need to, uh, for the legislative IG, we need to change the way that that office works. Um, Right now, the panel that that has to give approval to any um, investigation, if it's deadlocked four to four, uh, nothing goes forward. So if either party decides they don't want one of their members investigated, Mm -hmm. all they have to say is no. Uh, I would change that. Yeah, Yeah, I would change that. Mm -hmm. I would say in order to stop the IG's investigation, you would have to have a majority vote. You would have to have five no votes uh, on that eight panel. So it would be five to three to stop the IG from going forward. Uh, Seems completely reasonable. Yeah. Hey, I wanted to talk about 
uh, Dan, uh, real quick, I've always said that though you can write all the ethics bills you want, but if you fail to elect ethical people, then you're going to get what you get. And I, I think that's part of the problem, too. People have uh, seen how insiders play the game, and they just continue to play it. I mean, Rod Blagojevich was famous for just, you know, kind of throwing his hands. What? Everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, a type yeah. of attitude, and, and that's what we get, and we still have it here. I want to very quickly, though, we only have a couple minutes left in this segment. Uh, I found it very interesting that today the Wall Street Journal wrote a major editorial on energy, or they had a commentary put out on energy. And uh, I'm reading from it. It says, um, Illinois doesn't try that hard to attract businesses and workers. Its 9.5% corporate tax rate is the fifth highest in the country. Its property taxes are twice as high as those of its neighbors. And unlike most states in the Midwest, it doesn't have a right-to-work law, giving workers the choice not to join a union. Illinois does have one thing going for it, cheap and reliable electricity, the state would lose that to uh, under an 800-page climate bill. Mm-hmm. Democrats in Springfield are contriving to jam through the state house. The proposed energy legislation being circulated will be the largest rate hike on consumers and businesses in history. A coalition of business groups wrote to Democrat Governor J.B. Pritzker last month. You just went on a two-day energy tour. Uh, obviously, this is, they're speaking the truth here. Glad the Wall Street Journal is talking about it. What else did you learn on your two-day energy tour? Well, we learned a lot about generating electricity in Illinois. One of the biggest takeaways for me was the fact that every one of our sources is operating at maximum potential. I mean, even, you know, wind and solar, who's, you know, they're not very efficient. They're being, you know, they're being, you know, the demand is being forced on them to produce electricity. But our coal-fired plant uh, plants are operating at max capacity. Our nuclear plants are at max capacity. Our um, gas generators are at max capacity. Uh, and even then, even then, we've had, I don't know you want to call it a brownout, but we've had five events in the last 30 days where businesses have been told to throttle back, slow down, shut down production because there's not enough electricity for our nursing homes and hospitals and people's air conditioners. And, and and now we have the Democrats wanting to shut all of our base energy sources down and try to run this state on sunshine and wind. It's, yeah. it's an impossible, absolutely impossible, and, and will send a terrible message to the world uh, business community. They're not going to come to Illinois. That's and right. people that are here, they're going to look to leave. They don't have a reliable, cheap source of energy. This isn't the place to be. You have got it right. We're going to export jobs and import energy from other places in the United States. It's pathetic, and they're doing a dirty deal with special interests behind the scenes right now. You're listening to AM560. Join us in the next half hour, all about schools. Thank you, Dan Calkins, for calling in. Let's get it to him, baby girl. Black and right continues on AM560. Once again, here's John Anthony. Well, welcome back. We've got a half hour of an intense two-hour show left here, Kathleen. You are talking to Kathleen Murphy and Jeannie Ives. We're here uh, subbing in for John Anthony on Black and Right. Again, if you want to call in, and we're looking for a lot of callers on these segments. Yeah. Uh, We're going to be talking about schools um, for the next two um, 
two little segments here. So call in 312-642-5600. Kathleen and I have been on the forefront of, you know, taking on the schools, whether it's their mass policy, their critical race theory training that is happening. Comprehensive uh, sex ed. Comprehensive sex ed, which mm-hmm. is terrible. And that bill, by the way, SB 818, is still awaiting the governor's signature. Hopefully he doesn't sign it. We need to pray that he doesn't sign it. It would be devastating to, to doesn't school children. Doesn't it go into law automatically if he doesn't sign it? I mean, we still need to yeah, be on the veto. Yeah, that is true. That you are yeah. right. He can. He can. If after sixty days yeah. he does doesn't decide to do something with it, whether a mandatory veto, outright veto, or sign it himself, mm-hmm. it does. Uh, that does occur. So, um, you know, he may just say, "Well, I didn't sign it." Right. Which is a cop out. Totally. He could totally veto it, which is what he should do. That should be the reaction uh, of that. But there's been a lot of stuff going on in schools in the mm-hmm. state of Illinois. Uh, most recently and most Im- important on people's minds, though, are what's g- going to happen in terms of COVID mitigations in their particular school sure. for the coming up fall. Uh, I know that you attended the District 200 Wheaton Warrenville um, yeah. A school board meeting on Wednesday night. It was a packed house, wasn't right. it? it? It was. So the July meetings are where most school boards are deciding how what COVID mitigations they're going to continue and which ones they're going to pull back in the school year. Um, and you saw District 200 was a huge turnout. You can see some of the video from it on our page, uh, breakthrough uh, on our Facebook page, actually, if you're watching. Um there were also big turnouts in um, Oswego District 308, up in uh, Schaumburg and Palatine Area District 211. 11. They've all decided to go mass optional. It's about about 200 parents were there in the room, and a lot of them spoke um, in favor of letting parents decide, in favor of making mass optional. I think that what the board uh, agreed to, what the superintendent um, recommended, was extremely reasonable. Um, but you still have people who are mad about it. Um, and I just, so the day after that, there was only a sure. handful. And before you yeah. go there, though, no, go we ahead. do want to give a shout out to um, Dr. Jeff Schuler, the yeah. superintendent of Wheaton Warrenville. I mean, he was uh, presented with, uh, uh, obviously, I think it was an easy choice, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on both sides. Um, it, to, to do one thing or the other. Uh, right. the, the funny thing about this is that the unions would prefer to control the entire conversation here. Uh, certainly individual teachers and were... And they got uh, several of those school board members elected last April. Yes, they uh, did. April. Yes, they mm-hmm. did. So, But the community did speak up in droves, and then mm-hmm. there was the aftermath. Right. Well, and um, speaking of, it, he, it was reasonable because he looked at the um, infection rates, vaccination rates, and specific to our area, specific specific to our area Mm -hmm. and, and how many, you know, how readily available vaccines were and, and came to a really reasonable decision. So we had probably 200 parents there in favor of parent choice and optional masking. And then you had maybe, maybe 10 um, who maybe 15 who were there because they want everybody to mask, um, to continue masking because they're afraid, you know, the kids will get sick or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next day, so the, the media report, first of all, the narrative is that these parents who want optional masking and, and um, parental choice are just outrageous bullies and how dare they and that nothing could be further from the truth. It is an emotional topic because parents have had their own decisions about their kids' education and their kids' health taken away from them by bureaucrats for so long, but it, there was no, no booing. There was some, some argument, but, um, but then CBS two sends Megan Hickey out their investigator, investigative reporter, Megan Hickey to talk to about 20 
moms who were against masking. Oh, who, and they, they paraded, right? Or who for masking, and, uh, I'm sorry. And honestly, you know, I live right near that area where the, uh, the, the district headquarters is. Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a lot of problems with some of the stuff that they were doing. We did not parade up and down the public high, uh, uh, sidewalk and protest in front of the school building. We never did that. No, we I mean, did do some Facebook did, lives in front of it. We though. did some Facebook lives, but we didn't get a, a cadre of people to, right. like, you know, stand in front of the sidewalk and chant. Well, like, and so and so th- so you have but this CBS is two the shows clear up. minority they show up uh, the and clear they only minority opposing a, um, a, a, a reasonable decision mm-hmm. and um, and CBS two covers that and they they pulled one little bit of clip the audio is terrible of a parent who spoke in favor of it didn't did not talk to one parent of the 200 who were there that all signed in, many of whom put Facebook posts up and all sorts of things. Could have easily one of found them. them. Could have not easily one of them. private messaged them on Facebook right. to, get a, to get a comment. And so instead they go straight to the minority. This is how they're going to report on this. Oh, the this media is how, so biased. Yeah. They're, they, they need to do a lot better. I, I'm, I guess these moms sought out the but interview, but they just need to do much, much better. They're, there's no interest in reporting fairly. But as CBS two wanted to do this story, and they know that the, the, they knew that mm-hmm. the, these these types of meetings are happening all over the, the suburbs, then why weren't they at the meeting um, for in person? An excellent and, question. You know, because at six thirty p.m., it's two hundred people topic. were assembled. They don't want to report that. They don't they want don't. to show it. No, we'll take your calls in the next hour. Uh, yep. Yep. P- please call in 312-642-5600 as we stay on this topic of schools. A lot of uh, important things coming up. We've got a couple good callers, too, already. on the line already. So uh, see you after the break. Back to Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560 Theater. I'm on the low. I need some more. We are back on with you with Black and Right, and we're going right now to Max in St. Charles. Uh, he's going to talk to us about what's happening in D three hundred three. Max, are you there? Jeannie and Kathleen, how are you? Good. Very good. Yes. So D three hundred three has had their their out. Uh, you know, they they have parents trying to take back the district and put in place common sense. Uh, what's going on there? Well, we've got a, we had a good. Um, had a good effort on uh, 614 on June 14th where we had we probably had about 120 to 150 it depends on who's telling the story um, and it was really about uh, we really got woke up with this uh, deep equity mm-hmm. uh, the advancement uh, yep. and then CRT woven into that and it's it's I mean if you see it and then then you include uh, things like uh, driving the Europeans from the Western Hemisphere. I mean, when you get into it, you lose your mind. It's like Dr. Uh, Timothy Leary meets uh, the woke culture. <laughs> so uh, our heads came off, and uh, we got organized. And it was really interesting how it all came together. Um, the vets, the veterans showed up. Old GOPers showed up. Uh, uh, we had young people. Uh, we just broadened the reach of the group here and in the, in a smaller leadership group. And, and they really, by that, the connections happened. And the uh, the group got a positive, uh, well, positive, 7-0. You can't get better than that for a vote on 614. To pause uh, and do an audit that the board had agreed to do a year earlier and had to ignore it. And then we're just moving forward with deep equity. So that's where we stand now. The uh, There was a movement on 621 
uh, to try to get a a program that Deep Equity sponsors called YES, Youth Equity Stewardship. Yes. And that, of course, uh, why are you doing that? Oh, well, Naperville already does it. That's that's the typical response. Yes. Well, you, um, yeah. Naperville already does it. So, yeah. You know, I was with a group of folks uh, in Addison, and guess who else already does? Yes. And also had Gary Howard in, who's part of Deep Equity. Well, Addison does it, too. It's everywhere. It's endemic. And this man, Gary Howard, literally, if you look him up, you go ahead, look at him up. Look at what he's some of his keynote addresses. He literally has a keynote address that is titled Growing Good White Folks, Educating America's Newest Minority. Now, they're not, they're not the only they? ones. This is also in Downers Grove. It's everywhere, and people Why? think it just is diversity, equity, inclusion. It's not. It's, it's, uh, it, it, school boards hire them. Why? Because it's a difficult subject. They don't want to yep. touch it. They yep. bring in an outsider, and then they can walk away when there's a grief over it. Hey. Um, so our point is that new trayer, new trayer did their own. They yep. said, fine, yep. uh, we'll do our own. And, uh, new trayers running 80% proficiency on reading and math. We're running, uh, just a little over half mm-hmm. 50%. And by the way, you mentioned Addison, don't look theirs up. It's down near the, it's down below. 30. Oh, I know it is. Mm-hmm. It's um, actually right around oh, no, 20. Mis- I mean, I, here, yeah. Priorities the contract are way off. Every, I know it. I said the implied contract between every community and every school is, the school says, send me your kids, we'll send them back to you educated and skilled. Well, they've broken the contract, and that's what we're working on. 100%. Hey, Max, we, we've got to move to another caller, but we appreciate go. you calling Thank in. You Thank you for all of your work. And we want oh, to... Well, I, we appreciate you. You bet. Uh, we're going to talk with Tracy. Uh, can we get Tracy on the line? All right, Tracy, you're on with Jeannie and, uh, Jeannie and Kathleen. We're here on AM560, subbing in for John Anthony on Black and Right. Great. Can you, uh, hi, Kathleen. Hi, Jeannie. Hopefully you can you? hear me. We can yes. hear you. Um, mm-hmm. Very well. Thank you. Hey, thanks for inviting me in. Uh, well, so well, you're working. Um, what are you up to? So, um, so uh, I'm out in school district U46. That's uh, the Elgin area. Second, mm-hmm. Elgin area, uh, second largest school district in the state. Mm-hmm. And also... Um, the, uh, really the, the, uh, an elected school board that serves basically that, that, um, significant school populations of, uh, right around 40,000 students. So, um, I have no, no children in the district, um, have never had children in, in public school, but being a taxpayer, I can tell you that I've had my eyes on U46 for, a very, very long time. So, Tracy, uh, what know. are they doing? Are they doing critical race theory? What are they doing about masks? They are. They're, they're pushing it. They've been, they've been pushing critical race theory or, or a, uh, a, a version of it for actually mm-hmm. a pretty long time. Obviously, um, the shutdown, uh, I think, really um, brought parents to a tipping point to actually jump in and get involved, and which I think is, is terrific because they're, they're the ones that really have the ultimate authority over their children. Um, I think what's, you know, I was listening to your previous um, caller, Max, out in St. Charles, and I'm aware of what's been going on out there. But here in U46, I mean, we are just, we continuously have a, a conflicted board that is continuing to gaslight um, parents and students. And what I think what everybody has to realize is the agenda that they're seeing at the local level, whether it's CRT, if it's um, comprehensive sex education, if it's the continuation of, the, of, of, of masking our kids, this is actually being pushed at a, a, at a federal level from the from the NEA. And yep. all you have to do is go to the NEA website. 
they have spelled yeah. it out for us in black and white. It used to be that these um, te- it's again, it's the teachers union. They would be rather coy about what their their modus operandi was. But now they're putting it right in our face. So we know what we're, we're going to do. We oh, already yeah. know well, from yeah. a report in May that they helped write the COVID-19 policy for the mm-hmm. for the nation. They're going to continue to do that. We already know and it's, it's in black and white on their uh, website that they are going to push CRT. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important for parents that are going that are involved right now realize that this is more than you just going to your school board meetings and beating your fist on the day of expecting change. Okay, hey, Tracy, uh, that's the music though. coming in. I got to get better about my timing here. I'm new at running the board here, but we thank you for your call, and we really do want Eric and Chris to hang over. For we'll take your calls, Joe. If we get to yours, we'll try and get you in as well. well this is uh, we're talking about schools next time. This is AM. 560. This is Black and Right with John Anthony on AM560, the answer. Wow. Okay. Uh, we did get a request for me to repeat that the name of the uh, DEI, the Diversity, Equity, Inclusion Man, that is Gary Howard. You can re- you can Google Gary Howard keynote addresses, and in that address he says gr- he has one titled Growing Good White Folks. So educating, Gary Howard. Yes, Educating America's Newest Minority. But we're going to go right to the phones. We're going to talk to Chris. Um, Chris, uh, you're on the line with Jeannie and Kathleen. Um, what's happening in your school system right now, and how are the parents pushing back? I think things are pretty active over there. Well, we're pretty active, and I want to say thank you for uh, you know filling in over there. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you two great patriots. I love it. And I'm calling from... The great state of Texas, Dallas, which is uh, feels like a homecoming for that matter, being here. So many patriots around. Amazing. Um, my town, uh, District 87 and 41. That would be Glen state. Ellen. That's yeah. leafy Glen right. Ellen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting, you know, breeding ground for uh, liberal folks coming out of that school. There's been all sorts of activity coming uh, from Glen Ellen in terms of fighting back the school boards, which have are, or are currently implementing the CRT, which is... Uh, it's been quite shocking, actually, but uh, the acceptance of the percentage, a pretty high percentage within Glen Ellen is but also frustrating. So, But what we're finding is we're getting a lot of um, pushback from others in the community. Uh, certainly, we've had success in the surrounding areas with the uh, mask mandate, but in my opinion, um, that's, that's going to be a pause. And I think that uh, they're appeasing, as they, they tend to do and plan out, in my opinion. Oh. Uh, appease the community then really press on the gas or crt that's that's what i visualize it just seems too easy if that makes any sense yeah i wouldn't um, put i'm willing to believe it mm-hmm. well you listen, know, they, they teased so, out yeah. the whole reopening of schools the entire yeah. time last year mm-hmm. oh we're going to open and then it was delayed opening and then it was mm-hmm. two days a week that's and then right. they pulled back during the winter and then they delayed delayed and they, so i yeah i believe that they, you have to watch them all the time Absolutely. I mean, you can you can go to any any board meeting. Anyone can, obviously, depending on how many they allow in. Uh, we had great success um, at District 200, yep. um, and not all the people had kids there, including myself, but wanted there wanted to go there and be supportive of the of the drive to stop this. And I think the more and more information that comes out to the public, it's not that meaningful to these people on the board anymore. Meaning, it doesn't have an effect. So I think. They're kind of loosening their belts and saying, okay, go ahead, but watch what happens on the CRT. Now you're going to have a real battle after all this. I guarantee you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so people need to people need to strap in, get educated on what's truly going on in these towns. And and you know, just like you guys have seen, and um, we've seen in communities, people are organizing, getting educated, being prepared for these events because they are. They have their little plants in there that have all the CDC information, whether it be uh, you know truthful or not. They just want someone to listen to it. So yeah, Chris, um, uh, Chris, we're going to go to the next caller. We appreciate your Absolutely. efforts in Glen Ellen. Though we, you have been such a great uh, a breath of fresh air over there, and have really turned up the heat uh, with the meetings that you have hosted. And we appreciate it. But we want to hear very quickly to uh, Eric from Wheaton, who called in as well. Eric, you're on the phone with Kathleen and Jeannie. Hello, this is Derek from Wheaton. Hi. Oh, Derek. Hi. Hi. Hello, Derek. How are you? Thank you for calling in, Derek. All right. Derek, give us your so, quick uh, uh, 30 seconds on, on what, what's going on in, in your schools. And, I mean, you're, you're a public school teacher, and you're proud of it. Yeah, so my big pushback is the evidence isn't there for this equity training. You know, all we need is equality. If you look at black history, uh, we've excelled for over 100 years in education, and there's no need for these handouts. So this equity that they're doing right now is basically handing out grades so that they can get everybody to, to graduate. And excellent. Yep, you're totally right. You're totally right. You're doing so great. We appreciate it. Listen, we want to say thank you for calling in. Thank you to all our callers. Thank you to our guests that have uh, helped with this program. Um, thank, thank you, you John Dan. Anthony, and for the opportunity to be on your show, Black and Right. Thank you, AM560, for actually promoting our podcast, which is in the spotlight. You can find Kathleen and Jeannie talking about these issues and more on AM560 and elsewhere.